0: Volume Three, Chapter Twelve of Gwenwyn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Gwenwyn, A Romance of the Y, by Main Breed. Volume Three, Chapter Twelve. Queer bric-a-brac stepping over the threshold the young waterman is warmly received by his older brother of the yore and blushingly by the girl whose cheeks are already of a high colour caught from the fire over which he has been stooping old joe seated in the chimney corner in a huge wicker chair of his own construction motions jack to another opposite leaving the space in front clear for amy to carry on her culinary operations. There are still a few touches to be added, a sauce to be concocted before the supper can be served and she is concocting it. Host and guest converse without heeding her, chiefly on topics relating to the bore of the river, about which old Joe is an oracle. As the other two has spent all his days on Vaga's banks, but there have been more of them, and he longer resident in that particular neighborhood it is too early to enter upon subjects of a more serious nature though a word now and then slips in about the late occurrence at langoran still wrapped in mystery if they bring shadows over the brow of the old boatman these pass off as he surveys the table which his niece has tastefully decorated with fruits and late autumn flowers. It reminds him of many a pleasant Christmas night in the Grand Servants' Hall at the court, under holly and mistletoe, besides bowls of steaming punch and dishes of blazing snapdragon. His guest knows something of that same hall, but cares not to recall its memories. Better like see the bright room he is now seated in. Within the radiant circle of its fire, and the other pleasant surroundings, he is for the time cheerful, almost himself again. His mother told him it was not good to be for ever grieving, not righteous, but sinful. And now, as he watches the graceful creature moving about, actively engaged, and all on his account, he begins to think there may be truth in what she said at all events his grief is more bearable than it has been for long days past not that is untrue to the memory of mary morgan far from it his feelings are but natural inevitable with that fair presence flitting before his eyes he would not be man if it failed in some way to impress him but his feelings for amy Priest do not go beyond the bounds of respectful admiration Still is it an admiration that may become warmer, gathering strength as time goes on. It even does somewhat on this same night, for, in truth, the girl's beauty is a thing which cannot be glanced at without a wish to gaze upon it again. And she possesses something more than beauty, a gift not quite so rare, but perhaps as much prized by Jack Wingate modesty. He has noted her shy, almost timid mien ere now, for it is not the first time he has been in her company, contrasted it with the bold advances made to him by the former fellow-servant at the court, Clarisse, And now again he observes the same bearing as she moves about through that cheery place, in the light of glowing coals, best from the forest of Dean. And he thinks of it while seated at the supper-table, she at its head, vis vis to her uncle, and distributing the viands. These are no damper to his admiration of her, since the dishes she has prepared are of the daintiest. He has not been accustomed to eat such a meal, for his mother could not cook it, while, as already said, amy something of an artiste cousin an excellent wife she would make all things considered and possibly at a later period jack wingate might catch himself so reflecting but not now not tonight such a thought is not in his mind could not be with that sadder thought still overshadowing the conversation at the table is mostly between the uncle and himself the niece only now and then putting in a word and the subjects are still of a general character in the main relating to boats and their management it continues so till the supper things have been cleared off and in their place appear a decanter of spirits a basin of lump sugar and a jug of hot water with a couple of tumblers containing spoons. Amy knows her uncle's weakness, which is a whisky toddy before going to bed, for it is the barley brie that sparkles in the decanter, and also, aware that to-night he will indulge in more than one, she sets the kettle on its trivet against the bars of the grate. As the hour has now waxed late, and the host is evidently longing for a more confidential chat with his guest, she asks if there is anything more likely to be wanted. Answered in the negative, she bids both good-night, withdraws to the little chamber, so prettily decorated for her, and goes to her bed. But not immediately to fall asleep. Instead, she lies awake thinking of Jack Wingate, whose voice, like a distant murmur, she can now and then hear. The French femme de chambre would have had her cheek at the keyhole to catch what he might say. Not so the young English girl, brought up in a very different school, and if she lies awake it is from no prying curiosity, but kept so by a nobler sentiment on the instant of her withdrawal old joe who has been some time showing in a fidget for it hitches his chair closer to the table desiring his guest to do the same and the whisky punches having been already prepared they also bring their glasses together your good health jack same to yourself joe After this exchange, the ex Charon, no longer constrained by the presence of a third party, launches out into a dialogue altogether different from that hitherto held between them, the subject being the late tenant of the house in which they are hobnobbing. Queer sort of chap, that coracle dick! an't he, Jack! Course he be! But why do ye ask? You knowed him afore well enough. Not so wells now he never comed about the court, ceptin in once when fetched there, afore the old squire on a poaching case. Lor what a change he now head keeper o' the estate. He say ye you know him better than ye did? ha ye learnt anything about him o' oh, late? That hey I and a goodish deal too. "'More'n one thing as seems curious. "'If you don't object tellin' me, "'I'd like to hear what they be. "'Well, one are that Dick Dempsey "'have been in the practice of something besides poachin. "'That ain't no news to me. "'I long suspected him of doings worse than that. "'Amongst them did ye include fortune? "'No, because I never thought of it but i believe him to be capable of it or anything else what makes ye think he a been a forger well i won't say forger for he might a made the things but for sure he's a been engaged in passing them off passing what off them rejoins joe drawing a little canvas bag out of his pocket and spilling his contents upon the table over a score of coins tall appearance half crown pieces. Counterfeits every one of em, he adds, as the others sit staring at them in surprise. Where did you find them? asks Jack. In the corner an old cupboard furbishing up the place. I come across them, besides a goodish cris to other curiosities. What would ye think o' oh, my predecessor here being a burglar as well as smasher? I wouldn't think that now strange neither. As I've said already, I'd believe Dick Dempsey to be a man who'd not mind taking a hand at any mortal thing, howsomever bad, burglary or even worse if it were made worth his while. But what led ye to think to he a been also in the housebreaking line? these answers the old boatman producing another and larger bag the more ponderous contents of which he spills out on the floor not the table as he does so exclaiming there be a lot to oddities a complete set of to burglar's tools far as i can understand them and so are they jemmys, cold chisels skeleton keys in short every implement of the cracksman's calling. And ye found them in the cupboard too? No, not there. Nor yet inside, but on the premises. The big bag wheat's contents were crammed up in a hole in the rocks, the cliff at the back o' the house. Do all it. And the oddest his leaving such things behind, to tell the tale of his guilty doings. I suppose being full of his new fortunes, He's forgot all about them, but he hain't waited for me to give the whole o' the catalogue. There be something more to come. What more? asks the young waterman, surprisedly, and with renewed interest. A thing as seems curiouser than all the rest. I can draw conclusions from the counterfeit coins and the house-breaking implements, but the other beats me dead down and i don't know what to make of it maybe you can tell i found it stuck up in the same hole in the rocks with a stone in front exact fit into and filling in its mouth while speaking he draws open a chest and takes from it a bundle of some white stuff apparently linen loosely rolled unfolding and holding it up to the light he adds there be the identical article no wonder he thought the thing strange found where he had found it for it is a shroud white with a cross and two letters in red stitched upon that part which were it upon a body both cross and lettering would lie over the breast Oh god cries jack wingate as his eyes rest upon the symbol that's the shroud mary morgan were buried in i can swear to it I'd seed her mother's ditch on that cross, and them letters, the initials oer name, and I seed it on herself in the coffin for twere closed. Heaven no mercy, what do it mean? Amy priest lying awake in her bed, hears Jack Wingate's voice excitedly exclaiming, and wonders what that means, but she's not told, nor learns she aught of a conversation. Which succeeds in more subdued tone, prolonged to a much later hour, even into morning, for before the two men part, they mature a plan for ascertaining why that ghostly thing is still above ground instead of in the grave, where the body it covered is coldly sleeping. End of Chapter Twelve. Read by Lars Rolander.